coming up on This Week in Games. Stadia purchases its first AAA game studio. Facebook buys its way into cloud gaming. And an eSports platform raises a hefty Series A. Coming up, This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and we are deep, deep into the holiday season. <laughs> I mean, so much so, it's kind of like the this week in games before Christmas, if you will. You would think nothing would be stirring in the game industry, not even a mouse, but you would be wrong. We had a surprising number of acquisitions and announcements this week, so let's kick it off. Tencent start Tencent's foray in the cloud gaming soft launches in China. So... PC gamers in select major Chinese cities will be able to play Blade and Soul, Path of Exile, Fortnite, and NBA 2K Online 2 if they sign up for the open beta for Tencent Start, Tencent Start being the name of Tencent's cloud gaming platform. NVIDIA has been tapped to power the service from a component standpoint. Also, <laughs> this shouldn't be confused with Tencent's Wii game, WeChat's mobile cloud gaming service, as these two are separate offerings. So, Interesting enough, you can kind of see like Wii game is more casual games, more mobile games. Tencent Start is more console and PC games. And Tencent Start is where they're offering non-Tencent games. Wii games seems to be only Tencent owned games or Tencent invested studios. At first glance, kind of the segmentation of these two services seems rather strange. But I think we as non-Chinese people kind of forget how big Tencent is in China and how WeChat has experienced um, from a thought standpoint there. For many Chinese people, WeChat is the internet. Like, it's the interface to the internet. The internet isn't browsers and these, like, software as a services and all these, like, entry points. It's WeChat. So Tencent needs to continue to keep WeChat as a curated experience and as thought of as the OS for the internet. Tencent Start is catering to more hardcore gamers as WeChat is to more, like, a broad audience. Tencent Start is clearly... Uh, target towards PC gamers. And remember, China doesn't really have the console market. So anyone who plays PC games is like kind of more hardcore. And anyone who plays mobile games is kind of quote unquote more casual, even though there's like mixture between the two. So uh, pretty interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I still think the separation is pretty strange. But I guess from their point of view, people who are going to game on WeChat probably aren't like heavily probably aren't the same people who are going to game at like a cyber cafe or something maybe that's it i don't know all right next up a new esports federation is announced with strong backing so global esports federation looks to become the new voice and authority for worldwide esports movement backed by tencent members of various asian olympic councils and ceos of esports organization the global esports federation will have to compete with existing esports governing bodies like the european esports federation and international esports federation okay i mean i guess with esports being uh considered for olympics i think they're gonna demo a couple so they do these uh sport demoings in the olympics you know kendo was demoed at one point and they kind of test the waters. And I think, you know, along with rock climbing and some more physical sports, for the first time, they're going to demo esports in the Olympics. So it makes sense that there's a giant number of organizations trying to be the governing body for that esport. This happens in many, many other sports, like within judo and taekwondo. There are multiple kind of like federations or associations trying to vie to be 
kind of the arbitrator of Olympic competition and the person who decides rules and which teams and people go for that sport and how they rank them. So makes sense that people are doing this for esports. Makes also sense that like Olympic councils like the Singapore Olympic Council or people from the Chinese Olympic Council are going to kind of like jump on board with this as well to move this along. Tencent's probably going to tap their network to back it so that they can control this as well. It's going to be the Wild West. Um, So this is just to be expected. Also, a small update on the most interesting mobile game system. Panic's Playdate will ship preview versions this month. So I've been very excited about this. Playdate is a black and white mobile game system that for $150 you get the kind of like mobile console and 12 games one released each week the system kind of looks like a game boy but has additional features like a crank physical input and i really want to get my hands on one of these i'm really excited to see people put videos out of um, the preview versions of them and i think from a standpoint my standpoint is this going to produce some of the most unique and fun games we've ever seen on portable consoles i'm a strong believer that kind of the more constraints crazy designers have, the more creative they become. So having a black and white game system with all these wacky input vectors, sign me up. This sounds awesome. All right, let's get to business news. This week was mostly business news. This is what you came here for. Let's kick it off. Google Stadia acquires Typhoon Studios. So we all knew this was coming, a series of acquisitions by Google Stadia's department to fill the knowledge gaps of game development that tech giants like Google lack. People hearing this may ask, oh, who's Typhoon Studios? What have they made? Why did Google buy them? It makes perfect sense when you break down all the details, though. Typhoon Studios is a Montreal-based studio. Google's first Stadia development headquarters is in Montreal. Stadia Games and Entertainment VP Jade Raymond is also based out of Montreal. Bam, there's one one reason to buy them. Typhoon Studios currently sits at 26 employees with vets from Ubisoft, EA, and WB Games, most notably, Alex Hutchinson, who, is the, who was the creative director on Assassin's Creed 3 and Far Cry 4, as well as Reed Schneider, who was the executive producer on Batman Arkham Knight. Now, Google has an army of top university-educated software engineers that come from MIT, Carnegie Mellon, and Stanford, product managers and program managers from the same, but it lacks executional experience that is required to really deliver a quality game, like how you make a top quality game within a reasonable time is not how you make top quality software. They're wildly different. In most games, I think people would be surprised are held together by like <laughs> glue and toothpicks and not held together by like thoroughly crafted out thoughts because games change so much in development and things have to get like rushed and so on and so on that you, it's more about like what the end product is, not how you made it. Whereas you know, software that needs to be the foundation or architecture for something that lasts 10 years has to go the other way. Google can throw a lot of talent at the problem, but doesn't have the leadership or experience to lead that talent, which Typhoon Studios provides. Also, Typhoon Studios only took a seed round investment of $225,000 from Makers Fund, meaning they're not beholden to a publisher. They also don't have a lot of shareholders to buy out. And guessing from reading about this, they probably aren't in significant debt either. So Typhoon Studios haven't released their first game yet, meaning that their first game, if it's a runaway hit, Google bought the studio on a cheap discount. And also their first game, Journey to the Savage Planet, was getting released on PS4, Xbox One, and Windows. So Google buying the company and pulling a game release from the three major platform competitors 
um, you know, bonus for them. And on top of that, since this game was targeting PC, it'll be even easier to deploy it to the cloud server to get served on Google Stadia. The last thing is Journey to the Savage Planet looks like it has a lot of floral and plant life in, the, in its environments. And on lower end PCs or the base PS4 and Xbox One, those detailed environments may not materialize as intended. But on Google Stadia, everyone will experience these like highly rich, kind of like detailed environments with tons of flora and like floral and plant life. You're going to see it all, right? Because, you know, Google Stadia can put any computational power towards a single game instance it wants to kind of like realize it at its maximum's peak. So again, it's a win-win. I think it's win-win all around. You know, Typhoon Studio gets a massive safety net in the form of Google's cash flow. Typhoon Studios also releases like the best version of its game it can. Google Stadia kind of gets talent and experienced developers plus an exclusive title and all in Stadia's game backyard. So win-win all around. Good job, Google. Good job, Typhoon Studios. You know, I'll give the game a shot when it comes out. Next up, Facebook acquires cloud gaming platform Play Giga for $78 million. This is a weird one. Facebook shows signs of interest in joining the increasingly crowded cloud market. Sorry about that. As they acquired Madrid-based Play Giga. CNBC reported the story, but Facebook has been kind of tight-lipped on why they acquired Play Giga and what plans they have for the company and its technology. Play Giga was founded in 2013 and has raised about $5.5 million in their Series A back in 2015. But don't think of Play Giga as kind of like a service platform like Stadia is. It's a service in the traditional sense, as it offers telecoms publishers and digital media companies the ability to offer their entertainment serving over the cloud. PlayGig itself doesn't own any of the content and likely sets telecoms up with publishers when licensing its service. I don't know, it's a very interesting purchase. Um, I don't want to rattle off the same list of growing number of developers entering the cloud gaming space, but when Fang and their Chinese counterparts enter a market to compete with each other, margins fall and content developers and consumers end up winning. The fact that Facebook's coming in here means some number cruncher at Facebook actually said that, hey, like Stadia flopped and this is a major opportunity. And so if you have Facebook, Google, Amazon, probably not Apple, and then companies like Tencent, uh, maybe even NetEase, you have EA, you have possibly Ubisoft and other companies competing in this. I mean, this is going to get crazy. You know, this is going to get crazy. And it's pretty interesting. And it'll be one of the few fronts that you see all these major companies compete at once. And, you know, I don't see any game company being able to fight like an Amazon or Facebook or Google or Tencent on margins. So they're all going to get aggregated up and some major deals are going to get done next year. That's that's a 2020 prediction from me to you guys. <laughs> next up, Network acquires the mobile game Funko Pop Blitz. And that's Network with, an, with a 3 instead of the first E in Network. In a move that seems somewhat out of nowhere, developer-turned-publisher Network acquires a Funko Skin Match 3. Funko are those little uh, action figures. They come in the boxes. They're white. You see them on programmer and engineer's desk all over the world <laughs> network mostly known for mostly known as the developer of puzzles and dragons clones legendary raised 40 million dollars for its publishing outfit has now purchased funko pop blitz from the now defunct universal games and digital platform um not much of a strange move to be honest if you think about it 
network probably liked what they saw in their numbers and thought they had live experience to take those numbers to the level that legendary is at and both being match three kind of variants doesn't hurt either um universal i announced like a month ago that they shut down their uh games and digital platforms company so funko pop blitz probably was just looking for a home seems logical all around next up embracer group formerly known as thq nordic ab acquires tarsier studio so Sweden-based Tarsier Studios is best known for the Little Nightmare series, and the PSVR game Static has been acquired by the Embracer Group, which is the holding company that owns THQ Nordic, Coke Media, and Coffee Stain. So for $10.5 million, the Embracer Group gets 65 employees, the IP to all of Tarsier Studios' games, but does not get the publishing rights to Little Nightmares due to contracts with Bandai Namco that were signed before the acquisition. Interesting to me, this acquisition is going to sit under the Embracer Group and not THQ Nordic when THQ Nordic normally holds most of these acquisitions. Uh, They have a large amount of game studios under them. I don't know if it's like uh, the parent group, the Embracer Group, seeing the value of Tarsier Studios as being kind of above these other studios or if this was part of the deal or there's some kind of like monetary reasons for tax write-offs or something. But it's really interesting because normally these acquisitions all go under THQ Nordic and not the parent company. So I guess we'll see what, (laughs) you know, if there's any reason for that in the future. All right, next up. Animoco Brands acquires Inway developers of Power Rangers Fight for the Grid and Legacy War. So not out of the blue either. Mobile developer and publisher Animoco Brands is mostly known for IP branded mobile games such as like all of the Mattel games and cartoon branded games for Garfield, Astro Boy, and Doraemon, which is like this very famous, I think it's like a blue cat dog thing. I don't know. Go look it up online. Has acquired branded mobile fighting game developer based off of Power Rangers anyway. Um, 7.69 million was the total acquisition price for the San Francisco-based Inway, who also developed a console PC version of Legacy Wars titled Fight for the Grid. All the pieces seem to make sense on this one. Nothing really to comment. Uh, I, you know, you, you kind of see this with studios. Like, some, some, uh, publishers or parent companies really just go after studios who can brand uh, games with IP and leverage that IP for user acquisition, right? And then others should go after studios who create IP and try to like hope that, you know, one of these IPs becomes like a Mortal Kombat or a Street Fighter or something that can escape outside of the game industry. So it's pretty interesting. Animoco Brands has brands in its title and mostly makes our IP games in this uh, in way. Their last two games were Power Ranger games, so... It's kind of just how the pieces fall. All right, this is the last major story this week. It's another esports platform. I hate to ruin it. It's just like, you know, what are we going to do with these? So Game.TV, an esports platform, raises $25 million in Series A. So since I started this podcast about two years ago, I've noticed every six months or so the fundraising flavor changes, right? I think when I started, we were still in the blockchain days. And then it went on to esports companies, and now we're at esports platforms. And we're plotting towards the ends of the esports platform era. And this is kind of like a perfect example, and you'll see why. Game.tv is an esports platform that owns Turney, a service which they claim is AI powered, whatever AI powered means, where communities can run weekly tournaments. These communities can be anything from like a set of Twitch subscribers who all subscribe to the same Twitch channel 
or uh, kind of like a Discord channel server that people just talk to each other on. It may sound like I'm discounting Game.TV, which I very well could be. However, I just don't just don't know what, what problem Turney is solving, who the target audience is, and how this can scale to warrant a 25 million Series A. Running esports tournament is already like pretty pretty easy at this point, and I don't know what online communities that are desperate for AI-powered platform that automates a few things that something like Smash.gg doesn't, but also severely hinges on Discord for everything that makes the actual service useful. So I don't like services that depend on a platform they don't own or have a partnership with and are targeted for games that the service doesn't own or have a partnership with. So it's very easy to get momentum and have either the platform or the game pull the rug out from under you by copying your service, cutting off access to the platform or game that your service is using, and then offering that same service to their users, effectively killing your business. And then your hope is you're going to scale fast and large enough that either they can't kill you because of fan outrage or dependency, or they acquire you, I guess. Like, And then you're going to try to aggregate more platforms and services outside of Discord and other games to make this worth it if they do cut you off or to grow, right? I don't know. I don't see it. I haven't seen any of these esports platforms really pan out. I don't know what their PL is. You know, maybe they do make 25 million back, but it'd be hard for me to see them make 2 billion, for example, back. And I say this with like esports, you know, tournament organizers, esports everything, right? Within esports, Really, whoever made the esports game has all the power, and the other one is whoever like runs the platform which the esports takes place on also has the power. So, you know, maybe PlayStation has some power over Street Fighter, right? And Capcom has power over Street Fighter. But if you make an esports platform dependent on Street Fighter, um, I don't know. Like, it just seems like if you do anything that generates some significant value, it's not like Capcom's going to go, oh, this is great. Let's scale together, and I'll give you 50% of the revenue. So I don't know where these go, and I think we're kind of moving towards the end of these, um, maybe going the way of VR. Maybe too soon. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we need tons of esports platform and services, but it seems like there's just so many free options to create tournaments out there that... I don't really know where uh, Game.TV goes, so that's my opinion. I'm willing to be wrong. All right, that's it. It's kind of the episode before Christmas. I have a goal. I've been plotting my way toward, through a bunch of games that people consider like game of the year and whatnot, and I'm going to do a wrap-up episode this year. I know last year I promised you one. I never did it. I'm going to do a wrap-up episode. I'm going to do the best games of the year what they did great i'm gonna do like major stories of the year um maybe a little predictions for 2020 we'll wrap up the year nicely so i'll see you guys next week if you like what you hear hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app also leave a comment and let me know how i'm doing give me five stars give me four stars give me three stars probably shouldn't give me two stars or one stars come on people like i i think i'm at least a three star <laughs> um and that's it for this week in games i'm Eric mcconnell come back next week and we'll do it all over again. Take care. Bye.